Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. There's been a lot going on in the college basketball landscape, so I wanted to bring someone in who's got a bird's eye view to this, covering it at the the national level. It's Kevin Sweeney. He's at SI at CBB underscore Central. I'm sure everyone's been following him. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. So before we get started into all of these changes we've seen come to the game and, and what the future of college basketball looks like, which I, I definitely want to pick your brain about. I'm curious from your perspective as someone who's an outsider to the things here in Connecticut, you know, obviously UConn is the flagship program that everyone's got their eyes on. You know, Dan Hurley's been here now for a few years, uh, you know, has had a couple NCAA tournament appearances under his belt. Curious to get your thoughts, you know, from a national perspective of, of this UConn program and where it stands now. Yeah, I think certainly the energy level is different than that it was. I think, you know, stale is a good word, kind of where things were on, under Kevin Ollie. And I think, you know, one thing that Dan Hurley will bring anywhere, you know, UConn or, or any other job is energy and enthusiasm. And I think that's been obviously most following the recruiting trail. They've done a really good job, I think, getting involved with with high level kids, identifying kids. I think you look back to like last summer when they were landing, you know, guys like Klingon and Alex Caravan, like, if UConn identifies and like prioritizes a kid, it doesn't feel like there's many schools that are going to beat them for them. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, obviously like blue bloods is their own kind of tier, but I think outside of them, I think you feel pretty good. Obviously you want the NCAA tournament success. I think, you know, that I think tends to come in time. Um, you know, does, does, does he have some things to you know, work through Nessa maybe in, in terms of the, you know, in game coaching, sure, but you know that's that's not he's not unique in that regard. There's plenty of college basketball coaches that you know have had NCAA tournament struggles. I mean, Brad Underwood, two two, two hours uh, south of me here and uh, here at Illinois, has done an amazing job, won a Big Ten championship, won a Big Ten tournament championship, and you know still hasn't gotten out of the second round. So it's just, it's it's a it's a hard event, and uh, I think that's the only thing you can you can quibble with. But uh, for the most part, I think things are are generally on the right track uh, under under Hurley at UConn. So. Taking a look at where things are now, just in the college basketball landscape in general, I think some people jumped on it as maybe at first, you know, something going on at UConn when they had several players transfer out this year. But it seems like as we've gone through the past, you know, month or so of this offseason here, it seems like that tends to just be the trend nationwide in terms of most schools losing at least a couple of players. What have you seen from your perspective in covering the sport, uh, you know, across the country in terms of this trend of guys leaving teams? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously it's, it's a lot of different factors all cramming into one, right? So you have, you know, more and more coaching carousel movement, which is leading to guys being in the portal. You have the one-time transfer exception, so everyone can play without sitting out. So if you're a coach, there's no reason to gamble on unproven dudes, right? Like if, yeah. if I'm UConn, right, and I say, our backcourt's a little shaky next year. I, I don't say, all right, well, we've got the, you know, 20 years ago, you would have said, all right, we brought in this freshman, you know, Rizul Diggins, and we brought in this, this freshman redshirted Corey Floyd, and these guys are going to be our starters next year, and we're just going to hope for the best, right? Like, maybe they're good, maybe they suck, and we'll see what happens, right? Now, there, there's no reason to ever do that, right? Like, like what, well, if you're UConn, you can go get Tristan Newton, like a, a proven guy who's played, you know, three years at high and again, will it, you know, work out or not? Who knows? But, you know, essentially because you don't have to sit, no one has to sit out anymore. There's no reason not to just go out and take transfers. So I think that in turn, like causes kids to leave yeah. and it cycles. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've tweeted this with, with regard to UConn with other, other places. I think the thing that's 
that's tricky for, for fans and for coaches, quite frankly, is that kids who are playing the exact amount they should have expected to play are transferring, right? Like, like, yeah. like Corey Floyd's a good example of this, right? Like Corey Floyd literally signed on to redshirt, right? Yeah. Like he, he, like he, he, he showed up to reclassify late. He was going to redshirt. He played the exact number of minutes he was supposed to play. And then like rotation spots in the backcourt opened up and he still was like, I'm going to transfer. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I, I think from like a macro perspective, you start to wonder like, all right, does it make a lot of sense to invest three, four, five, six months yeah, in the- recruiting right Corey Floyd over a summer to then have him come sit one year and then transfer out anyway. Like, I think that's kind of the bigger thing. I don't think there's some like massive like culture problem at UConn that's causing this or anything. I don't think it's, uh, you know, unique to UConn. Like I said, I think it's, it's, it's something you see pretty much everywhere. You know, I, I, I think I had, I think when I tweeted the thread, it was about Providence losing legend Jeter, uh, who did the exact same thing. He came in, he redshirted, he transferred. It's like, you played the exact amount of minutes that everyone expected you to play while you're transferring. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's more just, the path to playing time right now, if you're a, if you're not a blue chip freshman is really, really hard. Uh, and so kids are, kids are moving on instead of trying to fight it out and wait and see if maybe one day they're going to get given the opportunity. I, I think that's been the hardest part of the shift in this landscape is I, I think changing the mindset of a college basketball fan and especially at a place like UConn, who, who's not used to getting one and done. So you're used to watching kids come in and develop. And when you see them transfer, it, you know, it kind of sets off alarm bells as it would have, you know, five or six years ago when now that just, again, seems, seems to be the trend. I'm curious if you're, you're, you know, a, a coach like, like Dan Hurley at UConn, does it get to a point where you just kind of stop recruiting high school kids? Like, are you, do you think there's going to be a move where these types of programs are just looking to play the portal year in and year out? I think some types, some programs may do that. I don't think that a place like UConn will, because again, I think you can prioritize a couple of high school kids that you really like. Uh, and I also think that at the end of the day, if you take these high school kids, you know, right. So, so, so you, let's say you, you prioritize only portal kids, right? Like there's really no upside to that because you're still going to be able to recruit the portal just as heavily in the spring if you want to run yeah. kids off, right? Like, so like what, why would you pass on the opportunity to try to recruit like your Adama Sinogos, try to recruit those guys that could come in and be like that three, four year star, when at the end of the day, if Adama Sonogo comes in, he doesn't play, he's not good. You just say, all right, see you later, Adama. Let's go hit the portal. Right. Yeah. Like I, I think, yeah. so I think, I, I think certain level, like lower level, high major schools will do it because it's just easier. And like, why are you investing the resources in it? But I think the higher level you go, you know, I, I think still think it makes sense to recruit high school players. I also think it's gonna, this is going to slow down a little bit. Um, you know, we basically have 300 kids in the portal who are all like relatively productive, who are, you know, fifth year seniors right now. And that will stop being a thing in two years. And I think that, uh, you know, that will require teams to do a little bit more evaluating of, of high school kids. And I think that will that help find the levels. I think maybe as NIL settles in, maybe that helps yeah. find the levels. No one really knows. But I think right now the, the bottom line is kind of the point I made earlier. There's no reason to go in with a spot unproven, right? Like if, if you're, if you're a good program, why would you say, Oh, we just hope this kid will get better. Like, well, you know, if, yeah. if you, you can just go out in the portal and say, snap our fingers two weeks. Oop, we found our shooter. Oop, yeah. We found here's a better phone. version of, you right, know, the exactly. guy. yeah. Uh, on the NIL end, I, I, I'm really interested to, to get your thoughts here because, you know, to me, it seemed like when NIL originally, you know, came through, it was, Oh, you know, Adama Sonogo could go, you know, sell t-shirts with his name on the back. Or, you know, if he wants to go work and uh, get an endorsement with a car dealership, you know, he could go and do that. And now it seems like, uh, you know, you're seeing guys just kind of straight up get paid, paid to play, which I, I know, 
you know, has rubbed some people the wrong way. What are your thoughts on the NIL and the impact too on roster construction going forward? Right. Well, I think, you know, when, when NIL first kind of came to be, you know, like you said, you're thinking of those things. And, and, and when you were thinking of like the red flags, or like the roadblocks, you were thinking like, man, like some rich booster is going to want to give, you know, X kid $50,000 to like name a sandwich after him. And that yeah. seems a little ridiculous. And I think even that would have been like doable, right? Like, I think, I think, I think everyone would be a little, little, okay, a little more okay. If it was like, here's a sandwich, you know, like it's yeah. $50,000. What, what, what has happened now that is so like blatantly against the rules is like, we're not even going to pretend like we're a company. We're just going to like, we're, we're going to check. create a fake charity that the boosters pour money into. And then we give money to the kids for charity appearances. Like, like that, that, that's NIL collectives. And my colleague at SI Ross Dellinger wrote like a probably 5,000 word kind of, I don't know if it's expose is the right word. Cause I'm, they're like filthy people. But yeah, expose is like yeah. a really negative connotation, but like, you know, it kind of exposed what an NIL collective really is and what it does. And like, it's, involvement in the recruiting process right now. And I think everyone should go read it uh, because I think it gives people a sense of like what's actually happening, right? Like, I don't think anyone has a problem with the idea of, or I don't think most reasonable people at this point have a problem with like Oscar Shibway being a legitimate star in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, and like getting, you know, major sponsorships, right? Like he's earned it, right? Like that's cool. But like Nigel Pack has, you could have walked down the street in South Florida a month ago. You could have asked a hundred people who Nigel Pack was. I think three people would have known who he was, right? Like three at most. Like that's like, that's generous. And now Nigel Pack is worth 400,000 in advertising to life wallet. I I, 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 I don't know here. Like, so, so I think that's the thing that you're trying to figure out is, is how can we take it out of recruiting? And Matt Painter said it on a field of 68 platform today. Um, I know the NCAA is looking into like, what can we do? Again, I think the problem is that there's not a lot of confidence that the NCAA can do much. Can do much. And so yeah. uh, I think that's, that's where it comes down. Inevitably it's going to be involved in recruiting. You can say it's against the rules. You can say it's this, you can put up guardrails and not let boosters talk to, you know, prospective recruits, I think is a important step, but at the end of the day, it's going to be involved because everyone is going to, you know, it, for every rule in the history of the NCAA has been someone breaking it. Yeah. So yeah. Some, someone's going to find a way to get around it. So it's, it's, it's a new world. I think um, the way I think the goal just has to be like, can we shrink as much as possible? The influence of like random billionaires deciding they want their team to be good. Right. Like yeah. that, I think that because otherwise we wind up in the situations where, you know, like, like what happened with Nigel pack, we wind up with situations that happened in college football with, with Jordan Addison uh, leaving Pittsburgh, the, the star wide receiver, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Again, good for Jordan Addison. Go get your bag, man. Like, cool. Like, happy for you. But like, I don't think it's very sustainable for like a sport industry to have the best receiver in college football four months after the season and just like randomly up and leave on a Friday afternoon to get like three million dollars in a house, right? Like, yeah. Like, you, you can't you can't it's, operate like this. Yeah. No. I mean, the the movement I, I think is you know, really caught a lot of people off guard. And I, I think the speed at which all of this NIL and collective money has come, it feels like it just kind of like came out of the blue. I mean, you knew there was going to be some movement once the season ended, but it, I mean, it, it seemed like it just picked up out of nowhere. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and, and I think one of the, that's been one of the really challenging things about this off season recruiting. Um, you know, I can tell you for a fact, like a, a high major program that I talked to, they locked in their star player 
at $150,000 shortly after the season ended, like around the final four, they got the deal done for 150,000 for next season. Um, Then they got involved with a high stakes transfer recruit. The, the, the number wound up for that transfer recruit was 300,000. They had to say like they, they had that lost them the recruit because right, yeah. they knew that if they took 300,000, that You're they were going to have to go back to yeah. the 150. They were going to lose their best player to get their second, to get, to get, to get their second best player. Right. Like, yeah. so I think, and, and again, that's the type of things that should slow down. Right. Cause we'll get a sense of the market value. That's a similar thing. Isaiah Wong's number. Uh, it, it's not out there, but like he would have made less than half of what Nigel Pack was going to make like two weeks after he signed the contract. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's just how it quick things change. Obviously again, part of it is, you're most valuable when you're not on a roster. Once you're on a roster, once you're locked in, it's a little less, you know, a little, a little less tricky. But I mean, that that I think is something that you hope will slow down. That this offseason has been unique in the sense of it's like the numbers have doubled in a month, and they had already kind of doubled from the old like Bagman days, right? Yeah. Like, like you you didn't used to be able to get like fifty grand as easily as you can get fifty grand right now. Yeah, I, I'm curious from the coaches you've spoken spoken to, how are they feeling about? this shifting landscape. I mean, there've been the people have said, Hey, this is driven guys like, like Jay Wright and, and Roy Williams and, and, you know, maybe even coach K out of the game a little bit. How are you seeing things here from the coaches you've spoken with uh, about this new landscape? I think there's a lot of frustration. Um, I, I think, look, honestly, if you polled a lot of coaches and you knew that they'd be anonymous, I think a lot of them would say that kids shouldn't be able to transfer without sitting out like 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 there it's, it's a pretty regressive kind of mindset around the profession so i think that's one thing to kind of keep in mind when you hear these things that's, but uh yeah, it's just I, old old cranky guys right you're right yeah. especially a lot there are you know like like, like I, I wrote when jay wright was retiring you know we needed voices to step up and i was like look tom Izzo and jim Beheim love to talk but those aren't the voices like, they, they want right. to go back to 2000 not head to 2040 and i think <laughs> yeah. that's the yeah that's the thing you worry about i think the i think particularly after the isaiah wong stuff I was struck by how you know, I got a call from a guy I'm good friends with in the industry who's 30 years old. And he was like, what are we doing? Like, what, what is going on? You know, this is so different from when I started in this 10 years ago as a student manager. I think that kind of struck me because you think of those, like those, these are the future guys. These are guys who are going to do this for the next 30 years. These are the guys who, and who are, are the leaders yeah. in the profession. And they're like, this can't, we can't go on like this. And I was like, like that, I think that, that, that was more powerful to me. And like that, that guy's like an assistant coach at mid-major school. And it like, it still struck yeah. me a lot more than, you know, if I had talked to a high major head coach about the same thing. So I think everyone's trying to figure it out differently. I think at, you know, at the highest level guys were like, all right, how do we adapt and survive? Um, but I think at, at the mid-major level, you're starting to be like, all right, like we're, we're playing a different sport, right? Like I, I'm yeah. talking to, I was, I was talking, I was at the EYBL uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to a, you know, a guy in a one bid league and he was like, we're trying to get our guys a free haircut. Like, like yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to have like a couple of nice things that they get. Like we're getting smoothie bowls for the whole team. And they're like, you know, that they're getting $400,000 in a Tesla. Like how does this operate? Yeah. And I think that's a great segue because while UConn's the flagship here and we'll, you know, get the buzz and, you know, they'll probably have donors who will step up and be able to throw in some cash when, when they need it. I'm curious what happens to a school like a, a central Connecticut or a Quinnipiac or a Fairfield do those schools at this point, do they just basically become feeder systems into, you know, power five and in, in high major schools at this point? I mean, sure, you'll see kids who, who stick it out for multiple years at this at these schools. But it seems like a lot of it is is upward transfers where you're seeing guys from these mid majors make that jump. 
Well, I think again, part of it's just that it's new, right? Yeah. Like there've been a lot of mid-major names that I have heard, you know, like, like good mid-major players, but not great mid-major players that probably belong in like the eight ten of the mountain West and they're at low majors right now. Um, and those eight ten of the mountain West schools called to get involved. And they were like, we want an NIL deal. Like we want a big, you know, we want a package, right? They're seeing this number that, you know, you know, like, you know, X kid from high point sees that Nigel Pax getting 400 is like, all right, can I get a hundred? You know, yeah. and it's like reality in reality, you're worth like 10 grand, you know, like, <laughs> like you, you don't have the same market. So I, I think, you know, to, 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 to that point, I think it'll start to slow down um, and, and that will help. But I also think, yeah, I think you, you it, absolutely. There are mid-major coaches wondering like, are we a feeder? Because, you know, look, five years ago, if you had a kid who was really good and he played his first two years, you know, obviously he's getting the high major calls. Like that doesn't change. They were still right. poaching. Like these things all happened before, but you had, okay, there's this uh, disincentive. You're going to have to sit out a year. And at the end of the day, like you're still not making any money, right? Like you're still, you know, you might, you might get a handshake here. You might get a couple hundred bucks here and there, but you're not, you're not making any money. Right. So now, and then like two years ago, it's like, all right, well, these kids now don't have to sit. So why wouldn't they just jump? But and you're still not making any money. It's still different. You're, you're changing. You're leaving a good situation. Now it's like, all right, I can leave and get $50,000 next year and make sure my mom doesn't have to work. Right. I, I can, I can leave next year, get, you know, 20 grand in my, and my parents own all my games, right? Like something like that. Like, all right, how do I compete with that? I can't, right. If I'm a major coach, I, I just, I just can't. So I think that's, it's all those things kind of coming together where you feel like, all right, we just, you know, we we're never going to be able to compete, especially at the low, low major, right? Like a 10 and mountain West. And I think those level of programs that, that, you know, but, but when you're going to PX, you're central Connecticut. I mean, you're, you're, you, if the kid, if the kid here is 50 grand, like, why is the, I mean, I can't, yeah. right. as a coach, I'm like, go ahead, man. Like whatever. Like I, and I, and I think that's truly how a lot of coaches feel like they don't want to hold back a kid. Like if a kid, if a kid can go get a hundred grand and they're making zero on their side, they're not going to be like, well, you should stay. Right. Yeah. They're, they're going to tell you to think about it and make sure you're going to be able to play and like make sure it's a good situation. But like, I don't think most coaches are going to discourage a kid from going and getting paid. If you can actually get paid. The question is, is like, how many kids are actually going to be getting paid at the end of the day? Right. And that's, that's where we'll see in 2025. We just don't know that right now. And every single kid thinks they should be getting an getting, NIL yeah. deal right now. Do you, can you see, I'm thinking just say I, I, I'm in a one day league and uh, I'm the head coach there. Can you see coaches being able to use guys transferring up as a recruiting selling point to some of these high school kids? Like, Hey, come spend a couple of years here. Like we've sent six kids, you know, to power five schools over the past, you know, two or three years, come here and, you know, take, you know, kind of bide your time and develop here and then go off and, and get a better deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be creative. I think there will be guys that, that do that. I, I, I talked to one coach at, you know, that UIBL event who said, you know, that's something they think about. You know, I think it also goes back to what we talked about right off the top, right. Of, you know, high major guys, like, like a three-star kid right now, I'll, again, I'll lose, use legend Jeter from Providence as an yeah. example. He was like 220th in the recruiting rankings. He commits to Providence. He's probably not going to play as a freshman or he's going to redshirt. He wound up redshirting. Now he's in the portal, right? So now he's going to transfer down to a mid-major school. He's from Michigan. Let's say he goes to Western Michigan. He plays for Dwayne Stevens. He becomes you know, an all-league player there as a junior or a senior. He has a good career. He moves on. He plays in Europe, right? Yeah. Great. So why, why didn't legend Jeter just go to Western Michigan out of high school, score 15 points a game as a sophomore, and then transfer up. 
Yeah. Right? You actually have a chance when you're a junior to go play. You might, you, you, you now, now there's a hole, right? You, now you're being recruited and we need a power forward. We're going to call legend Jeter, right? You know, now we're, you know, now, now we're, you know, now we need a point guard. We're going to call Corey Floyd. who just spent his last two years at Fairfield. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that's the idea, right? Like, especially if teams are going to prioritize portal, portal, portal. If you're a, you know, one, one big league coach, you're the, you're the Fairfield head coach or Jay Young. You say, look, give me a chance, right? Like we've built a relationship. You like me come to campus and play. And look, if you average 15 points a game in your first team on league and X high major school calls and says, I want to pay you 50 grand. Go round for of applause. Yeah. more power to you. Go on. But, but don't go there out of high school and get stuck. And that's especially a thing. I think if you wind up in a situation where the portal becomes truly a one-time transfer, right? If, yeah. if the rules prove that one time is it and you're going to sit out and we really don't have any evidence to say whether that's going to be the case or not, but that's what the rule says. If the rule is actually enforced like that, like, you know, you can't just do what a lot of these kids have done, which is you know, go in the, you know, go to a high major, sit, transfer to a mid-major play, and then use your COVID year somewhere else, go right? Back. Like in two yeah. years, that's not a thing. So, you know, can you convince kids to say, look, I don't want to go. I'm not going to go to a high major and not play. Now that's really hard to do. No matter how many times you say, and you look at all the evidence, you point out all these three-star kids that don't play that every kid is going to say, I'm going to be different. They, want to play. Play. they yeah. told me I'm going to play. I can go to Providence. I'm going to go to Providence. I'm gonna, I can go to UConn. I'm going to go to UConn. I can go to you know, Seton Hall. I can go to Seton Hall. But if you're smart, if a kid is smart, he would find a good coach who has won consistently, who has, you know, put, you know, help players move up. I would play there for two years. And then look, if I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. I play my four years out in mid-major like I was supposed to. But if I am good enough, I can go and I can actually play at a high major instead of sitting for two, three years for the hope that I can play high major. I think that's, that's where you try to win. Right. So if we can't, if, if we can't get, you know, if, if we can't hold our stars for four years, why not make sure that our stars are better players out of high school? That's, I think the hope if you're a mid major, that's what, that's what you're going for. No, I, th- I think it's a really interesting perspective there to, to look at it. Um, while I've got you, I, I want to look a little bit ahead already. I know it's still a little bit early as rosters are still being finalized, but I, I know in the Big East, the big news is obviously uh, Baylor, uh, Sharman going to Creighton. Thoughts on them? Are, are they kind of automatic top tier team for you right now? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, the, there's been an interesting debate. Oh, should they be top five? Should it be like five to 10? Should it be, you know, 10 to 15? I'm willing to, you know, debate uh, you know, especially it's still, it's still early I, I don't think that this team should be viewed as just like a run it back team though like, like yeah. these guys are all really young and did more than they should have as freshmen right like ryan nempard should not have had to play like 35 minutes a game as a freshman he did uh trey alexander should not have had to be thrust into playing starting point guard against kansas in the NCAA tournament <laughs> get nine assists he did arthur clue 24 you know 24 12 and three in that kansas game like all all those guys have a chance to jump and yeah. i think the if you're buying them as a top five team you're buying like two of these guys become NBA players alongside Shireman who's a fringe NBA player plus Kulk Brenner in the middle, you know, plus a good coach. Okay. Now I can, now I can see the path to it. Uh, otherwise I get why you say, Oh, maybe five to 10, maybe a little bit lower, but they're, they're, they're legit. I mean, the roster fits really well together. You know, they've got, you know, good cohesion. They're going to run it back with these dudes. So they're going to have, I think, be in a better place early in the season. Um, and I think Kaluma in particular just has a chance to explode and, and, and he'll be surrounded with guys who can make shots, which I think will help him because he's not you know, necessarily a great three point shooter. Yeah, I, I think that I think they have a chance to be really, really good. No, I, th- I think they're definitely going to be one of the interesting teams in the Big East. I, the other team that, that's just been the constant at the Big East is Villanova. You take away Jay Wright now. 
you know, in comes uh, Kyle Neptune. Thoughts on, on Villanova and what they've got coming into next year? Well, I, th- I think Kyle's certainly fortunate to get Caleb Daniels and, and Brandon Slater, Slater come back. I mean, I think, you know, I'm trying to think, there's another example of this. I'm not remembering who it is, but there's a similar circumstance where, you know, he essentially got handed two fifth-year guys. To na- oh, Drew Valentine, well, you know, a mile from yeah. me. I could walk the campus right now. <laughs> uh, you know, like Drew, Drew, Drew inherited, you know, he was obviously on staff. He knew all these guys, but he got four guys to come back for their COVID year. And I think that just helps so much to build the program in year one. Get, they win 25 yeah. games to go to the NCAA tournament. Like it just, I, I think, I think it's so huge for them to have Caleb and, and Slater back to go alongside, you know, guys like Longino guys like uh, Cam Whitmore is coming in. Look, is he going to maintain it for the long haul? I, I, I don't think anyone's going to maintain the Jay Wright level of success that they've had the last decade, but you know, I think Kyle will be able to recruit. He did a really nice job in year one at Fordham and, uh, I think they have a chance to be a top 15 team in the country this this coming season, as long as kind of everything you know gels together as you would expect it to. Thoughts then on uh, you know I'll, I'll wrap with this one on on what UConn brings in w- with the transfers coming in with some of the freshmen uh, you'll see in, in Caravan and Klingon and, and what you think on that team and, and the potential they have next year in the Big East. Yeah, I, I don't think either Newton or Nahima Lean will be as dynamic as RJ Cole. Right. I think you think you'll miss that. And I think Tyrese Martin, as you're seeing kind of in the NBA waters the last couple of weeks, he's gaining some steam. And I think that should, should be a good reminder that like, you know, you're losing some significant parts here, but definitely. I also think that, you know, the, the pieces that have been added with Newton uh, and Aline in particular, I think are, are pretty plug and play. They're, they're, they're productive guys. Aline as a shot maker and, and Newton is a kind of floor general. I think that fits really well, especially as Aline's smaller and Newton's bigger uh, yeah, Sonogo back, which, you know, again, one of the better players in college basketball entering next season, I think you would, it would be fair to say. So I think they're in good shape to be a top 25 team. I think I had them 22 in the way too early poll that a lot has changed since then for UConn and for everyone else. So yeah. I don't know where exactly it'll settle, but I would imagine somewhere in the 15 to 25 range, um, which I think is, is a pretty good place to enter the season, especially with two you know, upside freshmen, like you mentioned with right. Klingon and Caravan, who who I'm not necessarily penciling in and saying, oh, those guys are going to be huge for them this coming season, but you never know if one hits and all of a sudden now, now, you're, now you're up five spots the right. Right, exactly. But I think UConn fans be happy 15 to 25 to, to start the season and, and build from there. It's uh, getting the team back to just being in a consistent, you know, top 25 and, and contending spot, which I think everyone likes to see. So, Kevin, I really appreciate you hopping on today, giving us the, the lay of the landscape and, and how things are, are changing in who knows by the time this comes out, you know, we might have uh, new numbers that we might be having to throw around in these examples, but Kevin appreciate the time. And thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut scoreboard podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT scoreboard pod, the host at Jared Cutler and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut scoreboard podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to rate and review us on iTunes, Thanks again for listening.